Do you want to get into real estate but don't know where to start? Do you wonder how others are living rent-free? I promise by the end of this episode, you'll learn an insight into how others own rentals, made mistakes, recovered, and how you can get involved in owning them. Find out how they started in real estate and how working with others helped them to grow in the space. Find out all that and more today, where we provide real estate investors with the tools to achieve generational wealth. Welcome to the AMI Podcast. I'm your host, Bud Evans. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Aim High Podcast. I'm your host, Bud Evans. I am here with Kevin Amelch. How you doing today, Kevin? Good, Bud. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here and talk to you and your listeners. Yeah, likewise, man. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Everything going well with Pine Financial right now? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, with the current environment, I don't know when you're going to actually release this, but with the current environment, high interest rates, high inflation, all of the fear, all of that, we're still cranking. We're still doing yeah. lots of loans. Investors are super active, and I think it's going to even improve as the market softens. Yeah, I agree, man. Do me a favor. First, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. I was we, Right before you hit record, we were talking a little bit about our military background here. So I went into the Army right out of high school. They sold me on laser tech. I don't want to do any more school. I got to figure out something to do. I don't want to just sit at home on the couch and, and the recruiters you get to play laser tag if you join the army. So there I um, went into the infantry and did that for several years, got out. But what I've learned, what I learned in the military is a little bit about investing because you don't spend a lot of money when you're in the military. I lived in the barracks. I was eating at the mess hall. My truck was paid off. So I started reading a lot about where do I put this little bit of money that I'm saving and the rich dad, poor dads, and those books popped up and I started researching real estate. And I bought my first house right before I got out of the army. I was just turning 21. And yeah, I lived in it for two years, moved out, kept it as a rental. I was like, holy cow, dude, this stuff works. I decided to make it a career. In my circles, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. And the Air <laughs> Force is supposed to be the smart branch. And here we are. I didn't find out about any of this until I was 48. I didn't talk about it with my buddies in the army. I was like reading the books without them knowing so much what I was doing. There you go. I didn't want to get made fun of you. Now, by, by today's standards, everyone's into books and audio books. Right. And there's so much information out there. You're in information overload. How exactly? I mean, you started in the Army. You started reading. What was your first gig in, in real estate? Yeah. So I, like, like I said, I bought that first property, moved out of it and kept it as a rental. And I saw the appreciation. I saw the tenant was paying off my mortgage for me. I saw the cash flow. I was making 400 bucks a month, which is pretty good on a very first rental property. That was that. So I was like, this is how I have to do it. The problem was I was in school and I didn't have like a need for loans and money for school because I had the GI Bill and I had the National Guard. I was currently in the Guard at the time. They were paying for my school. So I took out student loans anyway, so I could go buy another house. And that's how I converted that first one into a rental. And then I just really honed in. I didn't have cash. I didn't have credit. I was a broke college kid and I'm calling motivated sellers as I'm walking between classrooms, just trying to stir up some activity. And I started buying one or two houses every month. And I did that for years. Great, man. So your first deal, you were cash flowing on it. Do you remember the numbers on it? Yep. I remember I bought the house for a hundred thousand. When I moved out of it to kept that as a rental, it was appraising at 120,000. Um, I think I was renting it for nine fifty a month or something like that. And I remember the net cash flow after all expenses was four hundred. So I guess you could do the math. It's pretty 
basic small little deal in, in a kind of a rougher area in Denver. There's a rough area in Denver? <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's interesting. When I moved into the property, it turns out the gang member that like ran the neighborhood or that block lived right next door to me. And they welcomed me to the neighborhood with some spray paint. But as soon as I got to meet him and get to know him, then I was, I felt super safe there because he controlled the neighborhood a little bit. That's good. So now, <laughs> I'm about to ask you about your worst deal. That might be a little <laughs> tough to beat, right? So what was your worst deal that you were dealt with? Oh, dude. So when the one that sticks in my mind is that deal, because when I rented it out, the tenant was terrible. My very first tenant was an eviction because I didn't really know what I was doing. So I didn't do any tenant screening, Yeah, but I didn't lose any money on that. So it's hard to classify that as my worst. My worst deal was my very first foreclosure. Okay. And I was taught that you could negotiate a short sale with the bank. It's really easy to do. They say that the people on the stage at the conferences and in the books and all of that. And a short sale is where you negotiate with the lender to accept less than what's owed on the property. So you can negotiate some equity there. Um, and then I was told, you know, just get the deed to the house, make sure it's in your name, then go negotiate the short sale. And as soon as they accept it, then you could refinance the property, pay off the bank, and it's going to work like magic. And what happened was I worked really hard on that short sale, months of effort. And then they said, no, the problem is I paid three grand to get the deed to the house. And it wasn't even my money. I had to borrow two, 2000 of that three. I had to borrow from a buddy. And when they said no to the short sell offer, we lost it all. Not a huge loss. It's only three grand, but it's a hundred percent loss on that deal. Right. Were you still in the army at that time? I wasn't. No, I was in the garden, but we were just chasing foreclosures. Right. Calling a foreclosure list. The reason I was asking, because when you're an enlisted troop and you're young and everything, 3,000 is like a lot of money. Oh, it was a lot of money. I didn't even have it. I had to borrow the 2,000. I'm saying now it's not a lot, but at the time it was everything. So how did you recover from that? I stopped doing foreclosures. It was tough because it was hard on the friendship, but we yeah. we made it through that. We're still buddies today. And then I just switched focus over to lease option and subject to where I can, where that's where I really got my traction. And that's why I was, how I was able to buy one or two a month is I didn't, I was negotiating owner, owner carry stuff. Okay. We went to the pretty home business instead of the foreclosure business. Now, what do you currently got got going on? What are you currently working on? Current projects? Yeah, my my big focus is Pine Financial. When it, through, so through the process of that foreclosure and all the lease options and all of these different things that I've done, I really fell in love with the financing side. So you, in real estate investing, the way you negotiate the deal with the seller and how you're going to make the offer has everything to do with how you're going to finance it. It always comes down to the financing or the funding of the project. So I really started focusing on the financing side and I became a mortgage broker, which was tough, very tough. I mean, this was back when safe act was coming in and all of that. So the housing crash kind of thing. So I decided to focus on just raising private money from individuals and loaning that money out to other real estate investors. And so I started doing that in 2006. I was doing both mortgage broker and private lending back then. And then when 2008 hit, shut off the conventional lending side and just hyper-focus on the hard money or private money. And I started Pine Financial in 2008. And now we've done over 2,400 transactions. So this is really a focus of mine. It's where I make my money, but I definitely invest the money 
into real estate. So I'm, I still have a portfolio and I'm still looking, I'm still buying. So Kevin, what, I mean, are you guys nationwide with Pond Financial? Yeah, that's an interesting question, but because we are, but only on the commercial side. So there's really two sides to the business on the lending. So we do residential, which is really our bread and butter. So think about your fix and flippers or your infill new construction project. Stuff that can be difficult for banks to find. We finance all of that stuff. And about 80% of our portfolio is residential. But for residential, we're loaning a little bit higher loan to value. So we're hyper-focused on geographic. So we're Denver, Minnesota, Washington, D.C., and Wisconsin. And we're just little by little growing and trying to expand. On the commercial side, we're at 65% of the value. So pretty low loan-to-value stuff. And these are higher net worth, higher quality borrowers. So we're opening that up nationwide. Outstanding. Great. I just wanted to get that in there and make sure that everybody knew exactly what markets you were in because I want to make sure that people are reaching out to you because you guys have been around for a while yeah. and you're pretty reputable. Yeah. And on the mortgage side, we didn't even talk about the private or the public mortgage fund. So we have a fund that people invest in. To, that's how we fund these deals and that's national. So anybody across the nation can invest in that. Yeah. Great. Man, that's a terrific model too, by the way. Uh, Thank you. Actually creating that fund so that you can lend out and it reduces the risk on the people that are actually involved in the fund because it's not just them putting up all the money on one deal, right? Oh, that's, yeah, exactly. And when I got started in 2008, I didn't know about mortgage funds. I didn't know what that was. All I did was take one individual investor and one real estate investor and brought them together. But the feedback was three things. We need more liquidity. We need lower investment amounts and we need diversification because Private notes are not liquid. There's no secondary market for it. Now, you could potentially sell them off. There is note buyers, but almost always you're going to have to give a discount. So you're going to be losing some of your principal. So I call that not liquid. But inside of a mortgage fund, that creates some liquidity because there's so many loans coming in and out. So if you have an emergency, for example, and you need your money back, you can actually get it back if you're invested in a fund instead of an individual note. And that's a great benefit to that. So... Uh, what is one thing that you learned as your wealth increased? As my wealth increased, when I was getting started, and I, a lot of people are like this, they're so focused on the transaction because, gosh, you got to pay your you got to pay your bills, right? So you got to get that transaction done so you can get paid. But what I've found is when I'm focused on the transaction, I make a hell of a lot less money. When I'm focused on the big picture and the success of my client, and I set the money aside, like I don't even think about the commissions or the profits or anything anymore. I'm just hyper-focused on our client's success and I've made way more money that way. So it's interesting shift in your thinking, but when you stop thinking about the money, more comes. That's outstanding, man. Now, the I have some follow-up questions regarding the fund itself. Can you explain to me what the benefits are to lending or investing in the fund versus actually going out and buying properties yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, because there's lots of different ways you can invest in real estate and there's passive and active. And if you're going to focus on the passive side, there's even a lot of different ways in the passive side, right? Syndications and funds like this and that kind of thing. On the active side, you're going to get all the tax benefits of owning the property. So that's a huge benefit. You're going to get the appreciation. So real estate will go up and down. We all agree on that. But over time, it always goes up. It's finite. It has to. Right. So you're going to you're going to get all of the appreciation 
Um, and then it, it, there's potential for more cash flow if you're buying rental properties and you're using the correct leverage. So you probably will make more money on the active side, mm-hmm. but it's active. Right? You right. got tenants, you got toilets, you got contractors, you got all of those things that come with owning property, all the hassles that come with it. On the passive side, maybe it's not as good of a return, but at least in a mortgage fund to answer your specific question, you're in a first lien position. So if anything goes wrong, who gets paid first? It's always the lender. There's a reason why I'm in this side of the business. I don't want to lose money. I don't take losses. So we we loan in senior position at low loan to values to keep our investors safe. And then it's very much more consistent than if you're an active investor. Just clockwork every month payments are coming in. Absolutely. And relatively speaking, you're on the safer side and you can sleep at night. You don't have to worry about getting a phone call from your property manager saying, Hey, your tenant just moved out unexpectedly. And for no apparent reason, Oh, except that they smashed everything in the apartment and they were mad at you the entire time. I just had a pipe break in one of our condos. I'm on the, I'm on this specific condo. I'm on the main level and the pipe broke above me, flooded my unit. The HOA is not helping me at all. They're, they said they'll help repair the pipe because that's considered common area, but no damage from the pipe. So now I, I have to deal with this, file my own insurance claim. And then it's worse. I've had problems where it's been in the unit above, not in the wall. And then now you got to deal with the owner of the unit instead of the HOA, which they're never going to pay you. So those are some tricky hassles to deal with when you have other parties involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a commercial six unit right now where we had a leak that no one told us about. And then the the person who finally did tell us about it was the person who got tired of being dripped on. So that that happened. Luckily enough, we were able to get that the middle person out so that we could rectify the situation. And it it just turned into a nightmare. (laughs) So I I know exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about, oh, this guy did this and Nobody's going to help you with that. Yeah, great point. Good day, High Flyers. Are you ready to take your real estate investments sky high? Aim High REI is the perfect Facebook community for you. Get answers from experienced investors, connect with other motivated individuals, and benefit from valuable resources all in one place. If that sounds like something that interests you, join our amazing network today, and we'll help elevate your investing journey beyond what you think is possible. Aim High REI is on Facebook. Just click the link down in the show notes. The best part, it's completely free to join. I help new real estate investors overcome the fear of failure and achieve generational wealth through buying rental properties. Go to BudEvans.com and book a call with me to find out why we guarantee your first rental property. Thanks. Now back to the show. Kevin, if you're ready, we're going to jump into the four. These are the same four questions that I ask every guest so that we can help someone who's just starting out achieve new heights. Great. All right. What is one thing that you use to stay motivated? It's my why. This is a really easy answer because without your why, I don't know why you're even doing this business. But if your why is so much is strong, it's got to be bigger than you, right? So if it's a strong enough why, this is the one fail-proof strategy that I can tell you you will be successful. If you have a big enough why and you're focused on it, you can't lose because you're going to get up when you fall. You're going to get up and you're going to get up and you're going to get up and then you'll never fail, right? So for me, my big why was was my dad because he raised me as a single father and I would not be here without him. 
but he gave up everything. He gave up his retirement. He gave up everything. He went into debt to make it, make us think that we weren't broke when we were. My why was let's help him retire. So within the last couple of years, I bought him a car free and clear, gave it to him as a gift. I bought him a house free and clear, gave it to him as a gift so he could retire. So that was my why. Now, now that's accomplished. Now I'm really focused on kids that don't have a fighting chance. Like the kids that have homes that they don't really care about them. And they're going to be the ones that end up on the street or end up in jail or end up dead. And I can't handle that. So I really focus a lot of time and energy in helping, helping kids. That's outstanding. That's fantastic, man. Thank you. That's, that's great. I coached ice hockey for over 20 years. So oh, cool. Dealing with youngsters who are having difficult times is, is right up my alley. So that's awesome. What is one thing, sorry, let me do that again. What is one thing you learned that completely changed your mindset? One thing I learned that changed my mindset, I guess it's like, we can go back to my, my example to you. When I started focusing on the success of my client instead of the paycheck, that really was a shift in my career. And it was so clear to me and how effective that was. Look, it was, I think it was Zig Ziglar that said, I know I'm dating myself a little bit here, but it was Zig Ziglar that said, you can have anything you want in this world as long as you help enough other people get what they want. So if you could focus on other people's success, that will come back to you. <laughs> Sitting here with a Zig Ziglar book to the left of me right now. Are you? Just reading it again. It's about how to close a sale. It's fantastic. Just, it's not even paragraphs and paragraphs. It's snippets, snippet. It's fantastic. Oh, he's great. Have you ever listened to any of his? talks or like there used to be books on tape that <laughs> I think it's all audible now, but if you haven't, you should definitely listen to some of that stuff. He is fantastic. I will definitely check that out. What tools do you use to keep you on track? Oh gosh. So it's all technology now, right? So my CRM, I'm in that every single day. That's how I, I do my follow-ups and my check-ins in my calendar. Your calendar is super important. So I think bigger macro level. I'm, my tool is my computer, but specifically the software is Outlook and the CRM. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm shocked at how many people actually say, oh, my calendar is my go-to. And yeah. there are so many different things, Slack, Asana, different CRMs. I can't even tell you how many there are. Just, I've probably tried a large portion of them, but yeah. yeah. Uh, you're actually the first person who brought up a CRM. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which that's, is amazing. That's amazing because I don't know how you track everything without that. I, yeah. I couldn't live without, without that. We have the different pipelines, whether it's the podcast or the consulting or the coaching. So yeah, just, it's just one of those things. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you had to go back in time, what is one thing you'd change if you had to start all over again? Oh, that's a good question. So what would I change? I wouldn't have done that foreclosure. <laughs> what would I change? I'm, I don't know that I would change anything, but I do want to say this. What people have problems with when they're just getting started in real estate is the lack of follow through, getting through that fear. So for me, I had a very much, I had a ready fire aim approach to business and a lot of people don't. So I would say for most people, what they should potentially change or consider changing 
would be to change their focus on take action now, knowing you're going to make a mistake, correct and fire again. Great book, by the way. Ready, fire, aim. I didn't even know that was a book. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, when you're in business, when you're an entrepreneur, if you're doing it the other way, you're going to wind up with analysis paralysis or you're going to wind up concentrating so much on the how that you forget that there's a whole process that you're actually supposed to be executing. So you get caught up in the minutia, which is never a great thing. That's a great point. You know, you know it's interesting you say that. And it's bringing up this something that I just learned like last week. They say that the best decisions that you could possibly make are somewhere between 40% of the information needed to make the decision and 70. So anything above, anything below 40, you just don't have enough information to make a decision. Anything over 70, you waited too long. So if, if you land somewhere between the 40 and 70, and I don't know how to apply this yet, but it, it's got me thinking when you said that. If you can get around the 50-ish percent of what you think you need to make the decision, just make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the difference between speculation and making a concerted effort and then making the investment, whether right. it's time or money. And look, you're going to miss. Yeah. That's, you're going to miss and you're going to learn from that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to learn anything if you don't do anything, though. You've been in business for a while. How many times have you made an attempt in taking your company in a different direction or opening a new product or opening a new process? And then within months, you're abandoning the process because it sounded really good and looked really good on paper, but all of a sudden it it's not really feasible. Well, that's totally right. And that's how, it, that's how innovation happens, right? So they say you want about 20% of your capacity chasing the shiny object. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think hyper-focus is how you make your money. But some people will say if you're always trying to innovate and get better and you're mm-hmm. going to miss a lot of them, as long as it's only a small portion of what you have available, you always want to have enough powder to weather whatever storm might come. But yeah, absolutely. You should be trying new things probably. Yeah. And talking about it, you brought up the shiny object syndrome. It's the new sexy that you need to really avoid if you have a product that you have a, I don't want to say a specific product, but let's just say a specific niche that you're involved in and you're working and you're successful in it, then innovate in that space as opposed to, oh, look, I can do this instead because that's what gets you off track and that's when you lose your focus and it's when you wind up in that speculative phase. But I could not agree more. I loved how you said that. So in, in your space, that's where you should stay. Chase the objects inside that space. Don't go chase the next M or whatever. Get something working, focus, and then, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I don't know why you said that, and I just came up with your car warranty is expiring. I'm not entirely sure why that just popped into my mind, but it's just one of those <laughs> for some reason that I attribute that spam call to multi-level marketing. I know it's not. Yeah, that's great. That's funny. Kevin, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, which is the best way to do that? So I I have a couple of reports that I can give to the listeners for free. One of them is if you want to be a passive investor and you want to do it on your own, you could always work with someone like us or other hard money lenders out there. But if you want to do it on your own, you make more money. I did a report to try to keep you safe because I see investors lose. Um, So that's one. And the other one is 
the recession that is here or going to be here or who knows, I'm comparing what we're seeing right now today to 1990 after the savings and loan, because that's going to be the most accurate comparison of a recession to what I think we're experiencing now. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a pretty lengthy report comparing the two so we can kind of get an idea of what we're experiencing right now. So those are both for free at thepinereport.com. Otherwise, our website is pinefinancialgroup.com. Outstanding, man. And they'll be in the show notes. Please reach out. Check those out. That sounds interesting. I know where I'm, I know where I'm going. Kevin, I thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I know that you're busy closing loans and making people wealthy. So thank you very much. But I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening or watching on YouTube, thank you very much for your time. Until next we meet, aim high.